Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the greatest basketball podcast in the world. It's your boy Mo, aka the Hoop Genius, alongside the one, the only, Mr. BJ Armstrong. BJ, how are you doing on this fine Friday afternoon or Friday morning for you? Friday morning was goody. It's Friday. Trying to get that paycheck, Mo. Now we trying to do what it do. And I get to talk a little basketball with the Hoop Genius. So let's get to it, baby. Let's get to it. You know how we do. I woke BJ up this morning at 7 a.m. I, I rang him. I was like, listen, the last episode, the fans loved the questions being answered. We got more questions. It. So it's Bring time it. for part two. You know how we do coming live at you. Our first question, we're going to get straight into it with no delays. First question comes in from our man, Andy Williams. Now, shout out to Andy because he shows the maddest love. Everything that we do, heat check, podcast, social media, he shows the maddest love. So I want to give a special shout out to Andy. Yes. He has two, he has two parts to this question. The okay. first part is he's a huge Utah Jazz fan. He says, why do you both hate on the Jazz? Andy, I'm going to answer <laughs> this on BJ's behalf. We don't hate on the Jazz. We have no problem with the Jazz. We just don't think they're going to win in the playoffs. That is nothing personal. <laughs> It's nothing personal. It. I just happen to be of the opinion that if Rudy Gobert was a foot shorter, he would work in Lidl. That's just my take. <laughs> that, like, that, that's my take, okay? Anyway, number two, he says, this is a serious question. Does the way that more positions are demanding ball in hand mean that the point guard position, as it has traditionally been played, is on the way out. Now, who better than a point guard guru to answer this one? BJ Armstrong. Is oh. the traditional point guard position on its way out, given that all the other four positions on the court now require some level of ball handling competency? Okay, great questions. Andy, appreciate you. Always appreciate your support and love. Uh, thanks again. Those are great questions. First things first. I want to go on record and say, I don't hate the Utah Jazz. <laughs> but the Jazz hates me. <laughs> because every year they finish in the top of the conference. Last year, they were the one seed. And then just when I'm ready to say, they are for real. They let me down. That's the first. Second, Andy, that was a great question. And the game has shifted because of shooting. Shooting, in particular, three-point shooting, has changed the game in the way the game is played because now players are playing farther away from the basket, and it requires that you have that level of accuracy to participate and compete in today's game. However, you still have to manage the game. And as you're watching the game, the point guard position has changed somewhat, in particular during the regular season, because you need excellent guard play. You need a scoring guard, a la Steph Curry, a la Damian Lillard, a la these players that can play a certain way, but they have to play different during the regular season but once you get to the playoffs, Mo, as you and I like to say, the game is going to slow down. The game is going to get a little organized and you need a conductor. And that conductor has to be able to manage the game in a traditional sense. That's why you see Steph Curry. OK, that's why you're seeing these. Play uh, not Steph Curry, I'm sorry, Chris Paul. You're seeing these players 
always, you know, they revert back. LeBron James has been exceptional at it over the last decade. Okay. Rajon Rondo. That's why we say playoff Rondo. You need traditional point guards, but it just looks a little different than when it traditionally looked like, let's say 15 or 20 years ago. That was a great question and an even better response. I also, <laughs> I, I would like to add that the point guard position isn't, tradi- you know, traditionally when everyone thinks of point guards, they think of small guys, you know, the smallest guy on the court, they would assume to be the point guard. When you watch right. the LeBron team play, in my eyes, LeBron is the point guard of that team. Even though on the starting lineup, it says small forward or power forward or whatever. That's right. It's the player with the ball in their hands that is controlling, as BJ will say, the tempo, the speed, the pace of the game, the flow of the game. That's the way I see it. So oftentimes, like sometimes I watch the Nuggets and I'm like, Jokic is really the point. Or I watch the Warriors. Draymond Green right. is really the point guard really of this team. That's so right. I, I get what correct. he's saying, but every team needs that one player who's going to take the reins of the flow of the game. And for the majority of teams, that is a point guard. Draymond Green, LeBron James, they're exceptions to the rule. It's very difficult for that's players... Right to do that at their position there. That's why they're so great. That's why they're on their max contracts, but let's keep it moving. We've got more questions coming in. James O'Toole or O'Toole. I'm not too sure how to pronounce it. I'm the worst at pronouncing names guys. If I pronounce your name wrong, please do let me know and send a little voice thing to let me know how to pronounce it. Because our friend Ross from Scotland last week was very unhappy with the way I pronounce his name, but I still don't know how to pronounce his second name. I'm not even going to try and say it now because I might do it wrong again. But anyway, James would like to know, are you concerned about the Grizzlies start and can they turn it around? Well, I, I don't want to say a yes and no. Well, I mean, I want to say, I, yeah, they're about I, 500. I am, I am a little concerned with their start because at some point here, you have to say the following. Ja is doing everything Ja can possibly do as a lead guard, scoring, his leadership. He's continuing to improve. But at some point here, we have to begin to look at the teams that they're putting around him and the style of play. And the reason I say that is because Ja Morant is an elite player now. And in order to reach your potential as a individual player and trying to figure out which is the core to any superstar. How am I going to integrate my talent within the framework of the team? You have to add top tier players to be able to compete with the other top tier teams. And John Morant has continued to improve every single year. He's, he's been in the league. So at some point here, we have to look at the front office and the executives and the coaching staff and say, what's our current roster looking like? And what are we going to do moving forward to give him an opportunity to play with another all-star? Because John Morant's going to be an all-star this year. Yes. Mo. Yes. Yes. We demand that John Morant is in the all-star game because he will have the all-star game lit on fire. Oh, 100%. So at some point here in the next two years, I fully anticipate the organization to make a commitment to trying to secure a top tier player, an all-star caliber player, either through a trade 
or free agency. So my take on the Grizzlies, I expected them to have a worse record this season. Then I did not expect them to come into the season and be in the play-in or be in a play-in, but I didn't expect to see them in the playoffs again. Reason being, there was one trade over the summer that was very telling for me. And that was shipping out Jonas Valanciunas, who was a fantastic fit with this roster because he was a big that provided shooting, set great screens, worked great with Jamarant, and brought back in Stephen Adams, who is a good player, don't get me wrong, but also one of BJ's favorites, Mr. Eric Bledsoe, who they've since moved on from. They then traded him. But the trade to me was very telling because Stephen Adams in a $17 million contract is going to soon be off the books in the next season or two. Okay. The reason why they did that trade is they don't need to compete now. You have to look at a team with a championship window. This right now isn't their window. John Moran, as great as he is, is only 22 years old. But look at the rest of the roster. Jared Jackson Jr. is 22. Jared Culver is 22. Desmond Bain is 23. DeAnthony Melton is 23. Dylan Brooks is 25. They've not got a player over 30 on the whole roster. Can you believe Stephen Adams is only 28? Because he looks about 46. But the point being, the point being, they're a very, very young team. And they exceeded expectations so much in John Morant's first two, three years in the league that people are expecting a next step. It's almost like what happened with Tatum. He was so great rookie season, sophomore season, third season that, okay, these guys do need some time to develop the rest of the team around them. It's not just going to constantly be going up and up and up. That's very that, that's the, the Michael Jordans of the world that come in and do that, okay? So in my eyes, the Grizzlies franchises, they are agreeing with what BJ is saying and we need to get a star to come in around John Morant. Let's just give it two seasons, maybe three seasons till these guys are turning 25, entering their prime and then make that a five-year championship window to make all the runs we can at the top. Because right now, as great as Ja Morant is, the rest of the roster is too young to be making a deep, deep playoff run, in my opinion. So that's why, you know, I'm not concerned at all about the Memphis Grizzlies. I mean, they're still above 500. They've won their last two games. I'm not worried about them. I think it's a developmental year for them. And if they do make the play-in, they could, Ja Morant's capable of winning them a game in the play-in. So they could be back in the playoffs. So that's, that's my take on them. I agree. And, and it was interesting because Steven Adams is going to come off the books. Mm-hmm. And once he comes off the books, I think the plan is already in place. They are looking to be a team that will have money in free agency. Who wants to play with John Morant? By the way, John Morant is going to be eligible for an extension. <laughs> we know how that we know how quickly that will be done mm-hmm. <laughs> in Memphis. <laughs> they already, they've already I mean, got the pen and the paper ready. Uh, uh, They're just uh, waiting for the uh, eligible uh, date. Uh, 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 hey, hey, and he will be saying, we don't even need to tell him this, but he will be securing all the bags Major down bag. there in Memphis. Okay. And I think you're right. So I think in the next five years, they will use this as a window to really compete and try to compete at a high level. Uh, and while we're talking about Memphis, a quick one. Rest in peace to the King of Memphis, young Dolph, tragically murdered yes. the other day. Thoughts and prayers with his family. As you know, we're big into our hip-hop and we're sure you guys are too. Another person yes. taken far too soon. But we're going to keep it going with these questions. This next question comes in from Sean, who wants to know if Russell Westbrook will still be a Laker if things don't pan out before the trade deadline. What? For me? Yes, he will. Yes. I, I just, Go ahead, Mo. My, my question is this. Who's taking Russell Westbrook off your hands if it doesn't pan out? Bingo. 
Bingo. Bingo. <laughs> How's that? How, who? Please tell me. The way that Russell Westbrook's been playing, he's not had a great start to this. And you know me, BJ. I love Russell Westbrook. I will defend him to the ends of the earth. But there are some plays that I've seen that even I can't defend him for. But, you know, my, my problem with the Lakers. Okay. Now, everyone wants to blame Russell Westbrook. If Laker fans want to blame Russell Westbrook for losing, you're looking at the wrong person. I'm looking at the front office because in the offseason, you traded for Russell Westbrook. You knew what you were getting when you traded for him. It's not like it's a surprise package. It's a mystery box. Who's going to, you know what Russell Westbrook is, the kind of player he is, how he plays, what he does out there on the court. You saw him in Washington last season. You saw him in Houston. You saw him in OKC. You knew what you were getting when you made that trade. Instead of that trade, you have the chance to. Alex Caruso has been on the record saying he wanted to re-sign in LA and he wanted just a little bit more money and they weren't willing to give it to him. DeMar DeRozan has been on the record and said, I thought I was going to be a Laker, but we couldn't come to terms on the contract. Okay. Now both of those guys are in Chicago and you look at how great Chicago has been playing. If you're going to be mad at anyone, don't be mad at Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook is Russell Westbrook. At this stage in his career, you knew what you were going to get. You should be mad at your general manager, your front office, this is how they wanted to build a team. They wanted the star power. I, I thought it was crazy. When they lost Alex Caruso, I said they've lost their best defender on the perimeter. So, you know, who, who's the best defender now on, on, on the Lakers when it comes to perimeter defense? In a lot, in the league, that's filled with guards. Who's, who's guarding Ja Moran when, when they play the Grizzlies? Who's guarding Devin Booker? That's my question. Alex Caruso would have been that guy for them. Well... In a traditional sense, I would agree with you. We should be mad at the front office. However, this team wasn't built in a traditional way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the how they acquired all of these players. LeBron <laughs> just shows up on your front doorstep and said, I'm coming to L.A. I don't know if there was a recruiting process there. Anthony Davis was in a huge drama field Signing trade or trade situation scenario. You get all of these players to come there because they want to be in L.A. Or take less money, as some have said, the latest being Kendrick Nunn to come there and play to chase a championship. So nothing traditional should be, you know, really put to this team in a traditional sense. So I'm going to look at it from an untraditional viewpoint. Okay. 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 Now I have a hard time believing that any of these moves are made without two players being involved, yeah. heavily involved. <laughs> I, think, I think it's just one. Okay. We, I have a hard time believing that any move, not some of, not a majority of any move will be made without at least two players knowing and having some input and we're not going we're not we're not into calling out names but well, well, well i think we all know i, I we all know I, and who BJ the two saying players two players i think it's one player and one agent okay okay <laughs> i i i can't confirm this but i what i can say is i have a hard time believing that those two players aren't involved so it's easy for me in a traditional sense to say what is the front office and the the executives doing. 
the difficulty of building a team always requires that you have a player that will erase all the mistakes when you do it in an untraditional way because you need depth and you need talent. You need depth and you need talent. Now, if you are top heavy, meaning your two top players are max players or your three players, that means you you need a roster filled with minimum players and you need a lot of depth because if one of those players gets hurt, like they currently have right now, you can see this could be a tragic season. So I hear what you're saying, Mo. Great question. But I will say this. The Lakers will have a hard time trying to compete for the championship from the outside, meaning if they are five, six, seven, eight playing games, to try to compete for a championship, that's very, very difficult to do. Regardless of how good they may think they are, that's really hard. It's like trying to win a horse race from the outside. You mm. got to be in the game. You got to be in it. And right now, the Lakers are finding out roster construction, Mo, which I, you and I talk about on air yeah. a lot and off the air, is of the essence, and especially in today's game, because if you don't have proper roster construction, which enables you to have depth in this league, right? Because all these players are missing games because of load management or whatever the case may be, you will have problems in this league because you're going to ask your best player to really carry the team through the regular season and the postseason, And it, it decreases your room for error. So this is what you. This is what was expected. I think the players, when they probably, in the in the in the front office, probably looked at it. They said, "This is probably the best we can do under the circumstances." And here we are. And I still believe that if they could get healthy, I think they could turn it around. If they could get healthy, but that's a big if because these guys aren't like spring chickens. They're not like young. Carmelo like, is not like young. I, I LeBron think- has nineteen years on it. So that's what I think, Mo. Go ahead. I I still think LeBron James is capable of winning you a playoff series. If it really comes down to it, I think he's more than capable to do, but I'm not mad at the front office. I'm not mad at Russell Westbrook. I'm not mad at whichever players. No, I'm extremely happy because we're Celtics fans over here. And the Lakers being in turmoil (laughs) is music to my ears. Uh, We have another question from Matthew McDonald. Who's asking Mo, what do you think the C's are missing and who do they trade to make space? So, Who's this? Say that again, Mo. Matthew McDonald is wondering who the C's are missing. Who's Boston missing? Oh, the C's. Okay. And who okay. do they trade to make space? So for me, they're in a very precarious situation because they've made a number of draft picks. Aside from Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and maybe Rob Williams, they've not done a great job in the NBA draft because they've drafted the Matisse Tybals and Desmond Baines of the world and then traded them on draft night to other teams. So the first problem is that the chance to surround the roster with talent on rookie contracts that could come in and contribute to what they need has been missed. The roster for me doesn't have enough shooters that are reliable. If I ask you to name who's, who's the best shooter on the Celtics roster, because you can't include Tame and Brown because they're the ones with the ball in their hand all the time. So what are we looking at relying on Al Horford to be our spot? Do you punch you on a pick and pop? We're relying on Grant <laughs> Williams from the corner, man, I've had enough. So 
is it, it's an interesting predicament to be in. If if I was in charge, I would look at this Celtics roster and I see guys like Aaron Neesmith and Romeo Langford and as great as their potential may be and as, as good as they are and as talented as they are, I think if you're a team that's looking to compete in the playoffs, you need veteran players rather than young players. So that's what I would be looking at to show up the roster. I'd be trying to get some shooters, some veteran shooters that can come in and be real off-ball threats because when you have real off-ball threats, I've seen teams throwing doubles and triples at Jason Tatum because they're not worried about Grant Williams shooting a three-pointer. They're not worried about these other guys. If you bring in guys with actual threats that can space the floor, then I think it makes the game a little bit easier for Tatum and Brown and what they're trying to do. Um, and then, of course, we spoke last week about having a point guard that could really dictate the flow of the game and get those guys their own opportunities. But right. I'm interested to see your take as a as a somewhat Ooh. neutral, as a somewhat new. I know you like laughing yes. at Celtics, but Celtics Lakers, Mo, um, you know, you know, we are halfway around the world from each other right now doing this podcast. But right now, Mo, I wish we were in the same room because I want you to grab this microphone from me because <laughs> it's about to get hot in here. <laughs> I want you to grab this microphone from me. Okay, Mo? Now, one of my favorite executives to deal with, to communicate and talk basketball with, I had an opportunity to play against his teams, to watch him win championships, this gentleman's name is Pat Riley. Pat Riley is one of my favorite executives. And I'm going to go back to when Le- LeBron James first went to the Miami Heat. Mm-hmm. He empowered Coach Spoel there. And he did something for Coach Spoel that I'll never forget because I appreciated it so much. And I appreciated it then when it happened. And I appreciate it now. LeBron James. It was reported, news whether it's true or not, it was reported that LeBron James in particular was unhappy with Coach Spo and how he was being utilized. And I remember the, remember there was like a little, they yep. bumped each other. Yeah, yeah. It was a big, it was a big deal at the time. It was a, it it was was a big a, deal. It was at a the big, time. oh, this was a, gone to Miami. Okay. And normally when that happens or it's being reported, nine times out of ten, the coach gets fired because you want to appease the star player. I applauded Coach Riley then, and I'm really appreciative now because he wasn't afraid to have his young coach at the time Mm -hmm. coach his best player and stand up and say, this is how we do it here. That was very telling of Leadership and the type of organization that said, we do things a way, certain way here because you hadn't won yet. And I'm the only one here at the time that knows what it's like to win a championship. I think Dwayne Wade had already yeah. won one. D. Wade and Haslam had already won. But, okay. yeah. but Pat Riley and Power said, you guys are going to sit down in a room and you're going to figure it out. And he empowered Coach Spo to coach LeBron James. Now, How does this relate to the Celtics? I'm a big, I hope I'm pronouncing his name. Emi Udoka, right? Is that that pronouncing? Yeah, yeah. Udoka. Udoka. Okay. I think he is very capable. He is well rehearsed. He understands the game and he has an opportunity to be a terrific coach. 
The tale of the tape for the Celtics is the following. They can go out and look for all of these things. They need a point guard. They need this. They need this. No, the Celtics need what Coach Riley knew you needed then. You need to coach your best players because Marcus Smart said it. Marcus Smart said it. Now, we can ignore it. Marcus Smart is a winning basketball player, and he is the most unselfish basketball player because he does everything that he can possibly do on the defensive end for that team. He'll take a charge, dive on a loose ball, help. Rec- he'll do, he'll guard the other team. And he, he is a winning player. There isn't a, a team in the league that wouldn't take Marcus Smart. Facts. That's big facts. Okay. Big, now big this microphone facts. about to get hot now. Okay. Here's, here's what we need, Mo. Mm. We have to coach. We can't be afraid to coach two players, Jalen Brown yep. and Jason Tatum. Yep. And once we coach those guys, those other 13 or 14 players on the roster will fall into place. Because we have to coach those guys. Marcus Smart said it. But I want to empower coach to have the courage to coach his team. Because I'm going to tell you what's going to happen in this league if you don't coach your best players. It will never work. It yep. will never, ever work. You have to have the courage to coach your best players. And that's what I want to see in Boston. I don't think Boston needs any more shooters, any more point guards, any more this. We need, we need some shooters. Coach, coach your best players. Because all great players want to be coached and they want to be coached hard. Why? Because they want to reach their maximum. That's what I want to see in the Boston locker room. That's what I want to see because they have a great young coach there, but he has to have the support of an organization to say, coach your best player. Mm -hmm. And And we will live with the results moving forward. This is part of the reason they brought him in was because of his pre-existing relationships with Taylor Brown from his time as part of coaching staff for Team USA when they were together at the World Cup. Um, that, that's a big reason that they brought him in because he, he got co-signed by the players. They said, we want to play for this guy. Uh, just quickly on, they don't need, they do need shooters because the Celtics are amongst the top teams in the NBA for generating open three-pointers and amongst the bottom teams in the NBA for scoring three-pointers. So let's get both. A nice compromise. He can coach well, Taylor Brown. In order just, to have good just, shooters, you better have good passers. And right the, now, your two best players aren't the best of passers. But the amount of times <laughs> I see guys get open looks and my heart just sinks because I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, I know this is missing. I'm telling you. I'm telling But no, I, I fully accept your point and I do think you're correct. Um, but it's tough because they were both handed the keys at such a young age and they outperformed expectations. That's okay. And, you know, maybe it's time to rein them in just a little bit, but that's well, a very... we don't need to rein them in. We don't need to rein them in is we need to demand that they play the game with the championship in mind. Like there's chasing your stats and then there's chasing the championship. Now, which one you want to do here? Well, they let's both... just call it what it is. Yeah. They both signed their contracts. So it's not even they're trying to get paid off this now. They, they both signed the contract. So let's get okay. this together. Well, n- now with that, Let's demand that they begin to play the game the right way. Mm. Okay. Because I think both of them are good kids. Both of them want to be coached. 
Great and players I, all want to be coached and coached hard. And I think as well that the the unique position that Sergs in almost unique. They've got two stars that are capable, whether they do or not on a nightly basis is besides the point. But they are capable of being elite on both ends of the floor. Jalen Brown, I believe, has regressed slightly as a defender because he's taken on more of the offense. But when you look at him a couple of years ago, he was a very solid defender. Jason Tatum has all the tools to not be, you know, all defensive team, but to be able to hold his own on the defensive side of the basketball as well. Now, if you can get them to buy in and play as hard as their teammate Marcus Smart does on every single possession, then I think you have a recipe for success. So we're going to keep it moving, though. Great question. That was a great question. That was a fantastic question. We've got a question from... Zoglug, once again, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly or if that's even your real name, but he wants to know, we've spoken about a couple of these guys earlier on in the podcast. He says, who's been the most important signing for the Chicago Bulls? Lonzo, DeMar DeRozan, or he calls him DeMarvelous, which I think is a nice play on words, or the Caruso. Which player has made the biggest impact for your former team that's lighting up the Eastern Conference right now? The Chicago Bulls. The most important has been Lonzo Ball. Now, DeMar DeRozan, DeMar DeRozan has played, he's he's really turned back the hands of time. He's playing like that DeMar DeRozan we saw in Toronto. He might be having the best season of his career. Yes. Which nobody, nobody, nobody expected, except for one person who made a YouTube video saying, the Bulls might end up being the third seed in the Eastern Conference. I don't know who that could have been. I don't know if you could find out. On I don't know who could have. I, I don't know or, who that was. Yeah, I mean, highlighting, you know, the way DeMar's game has evolved over time and his evolution as a playmaker and his willingness to shoot outside shots. Now, but, but, but that's besides the point. BJ, continue, my friend. Yes. <laughs> but the, the, the quickest way to restore winning in any franchise is to get excellent guard play. Lonzo Ball, night in and night out, has provided this team really superior guard play. The way his ability to pass the ball, his ability to take care of the ball, get it to shooters in rhythm. And DeMar DeRozan has benefited from that. Zach Levine has benefited from that. I love Caruso. Caruso is what I would consider a... He's a star role player. Yeah. He's a star role player. And, you know, he's not a full-time point guard, but he can mimic it. He's not a full-time two guard, but he can mimic it. He does all of the hustle things that you love. He gets the loose balls, takes charges, and does all those things. He is a star role player. But the straw that stirs that drink is Lonzo Ball. Because you need that guy on the floor who's an extension of the coach and more times than not, that comes to the lead guard in today's game. And as we started to show earlier, we talked about the importance of guard play, the importance of having a lead guard or a point guard. Well, he may not be that point guard in a traditional sense, but he's still handling the duties of a point guard. And because of Lonzo Ball's play, the Bulls are improved. And you can see that unselfishness by how DeMar's scoring, how Zach Levine is scoring, and how the team is playing. And they're doing this without a big piece. Booch is not playing right now because of protocol. So I, I like this team. 
But I think Lonzo is without question the straw that's stirring that drink there in Chicago. I know we spoke about it last week, but I cannot believe, I, I cannot believe the New Orleans Pelicans for the second time in a row managed to mess this up so badly. Drew Holiday, you had him, you lost him. Lonzo Ball, you had him, you lost him. I don't even know what to say about those guys. But, you know, Garrett Temple, Thomas Aransky, a 2024 second round pick and some cash considerations. I mean, if that's what you're happy with, you can be happy with that. But also what I want to say is um, shout out to LeVar Ball as well. Because everyone hates on this guy all the time. But his boys right now, those brothers could be in the All-Star game together, Lonzo and LaMelo. They could be in the All-Star game together. Coming off the bench, well, I don't think they'll be in the starting of Lonzo won't be, but you know, he's in consideration for a few all-star shouts this season. So um shout out to the ball family. We've got a little personal question for you here, BJ. Mm. Coming in from Josh. Now Josh. I think I think I know how you're gonna answer this, but I feel it's only fair that I put this to you on behalf of the people. He says, Would BJ sacrifice his rings, the three championship rings that you have in your safety deposit box that you never wear? in order to go back and play your entire career with LeBron James? No. That's what I thought. No. No. Are you going to... Because in my head, I'm like, who would go back and change their life? You can't live with regret no. like that. That's well, a crazy way to live on a philosophical level. Yeah, I look. LeBron is a great player. I mean, he has been, without question, this generation's best talent without question and you know the longevity of his career speaks for itself his argument is perhaps up there with the greatest players who's ever played deserved and you know look his career speaks for itself there's nothing else more we can say here other than to admire what he's been able to achieve throughout an incredible career arguably this has been the greatest stretch we've seen at a player playing at this level for this length of time since Kareem. You, know, you can you can argue you can argue that he's had as great a stretch of any player, yeah, for this length of time of, in any sport. I mean, this yeah. has been incredible to watch. Now, you know, I had an opportunity to play with the player who is in that same category or higher <laughs> who set the standard of excellence. Yeah. Without question for all wing players. Let me, let me, right? let me ask and, you, can and, I just interrupt you? Can, can I ask yes, you a question? You because obviously I, I was born in the nineties, so I don't know this, but can I just say something? Can I just say something? Yeah, of course. Of course. Can I kick it? <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> but, 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 but so, so I was born in the nineties and, and growing up as an NBA fan, no one, when I was young, this GOAT conversation was never really a thing up until perhaps the 2010s onwards. Well, I mean, there was like Kobe discussions, but back in the 80s and 90s, was the GOAT debate even a thing that people had? Did people used to debate, no, Kareem's the greatest of all time? No, Magic's the greatest. Was that a thing or is that only really an internet thing since Twitter well, and everything's come along? Well, Mo, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a great discussion. And I can tell you because I lived it. Yeah. You know, Mo, to talk about the GOAT, I'm, I'm embarrassed about it. Every time I say that, <laughs> I, it, there's a part of me that cringes because I don't want to disrespect 
Elgin Baylor, the late Elgin Baylor. I don't want to re- disrespect Julius Dr. J. Irving. Mm-hmm. I don't want to disrespect Connie Hawkins, Oscar Robertson, Walt Frazier, Willis Reed. I don't want to disrespect the game. I don't want to disrespect Bill Russell and 11 championships. I don't want to disrespect the game. I love this game. Yeah. And every player that's played has an opportunity to learn from the previous generation. And when you say the greatest of all time, okay, I can't say that because there are so many players that have come through here in this league that didn't get an opportunity to play, whether it's due to injury or whatever the case may be. Maybe they just weren't in the right situation. And I cringe. You know, Michael Jordan, I don't know if he's the greatest or what have you. I don't. And I'm saying that out of respect. I have my personal opinion. But I will say this, out of respect to all of those players who played and came before me that allowed me to have the opportunity, because that was my inspiration. Yeah. Isaiah Thomas was my inspiration. Earl Monroe was my inspiration. Dave Bean. Maurice Cheeks, Michael Ray Richardson, Magic Johnson, all of these players were my inspiration for me to suddenly say, I'm better than them. It's just because those players had to deal with a a certain set of circumstances that I didn't have to deal with. To think what Bill Russell had to deal with in his era Mm -hmm. in a city like Boston, I can't fathom playing in my era, what that looked like or felt like or what he had to deal with. So when I hear all these players saying, oh, he's not in the GOAT conversation, I'm going, okay, let's put you in the 60s in Boston (laughs) and let you figure that out, segregation and all of that, and then still win Mm. and have the the discipline and, and the wisdom to navigate that. Okay, there's more to winning than just going out, putting up numbers. So, you know, that that wasn't around because of the following. It wasn't around because of the following. If there's one thing that is different about today's game and and yesterday's game was I didn't want to be an NBA player. I wanted to be a professional. Okay. I, I, I grew up wanting to be a professional. And what I mean by that, Mo, there was a level of respect there was a level of respect that I walked out on that floor and I saw the late Moses Malone. There was a level of respect when I walked out on the floor and there was Larry Bird. There was Dominique Wilkins. When I saw Jerry West, there was a level of respect. When I met the late Wilt Chamberlain, there, you, you understand, Mo, I didn't yeah. want to be a pro. Yeah, I mean, I didn't want to be an NBA player. I didn't want to be a guy. I, I want to be rookie of the year. I wanted to be a professional. And I, Mo, I couldn't wait to put on my suit to go to work. Okay. I couldn't wait to walk in the Philadelphia spectrum where they said, from University of Massachusetts, Julius Ert. Like, yeah. there was such joy when I played in the Boston Garden. Yeah. Where... DJ and all of those guys yep. play. 
there was joy walking into Madison Square Garden because I wanted to be a professional and I wanted to respect the game to that degree. And I held it in such it's, it's different today where because the game is so popular now, it's accessible. Yeah. Yeah. So so what, what I'm asking is like, is say I go to the barbershop, right? And then I, I see people in the barbershop. They're like, yo, you're, you're the basketball guy. You're the NBA guy. I'm like, yeah, yeah. And then the first thing that people love to ask me is Jordan or LeBron, Kobe or LeBron, Jordan or Kobe, et cetera, et cetera. I want to know when, before you even got to the league, when you were a kid growing up in the schoolyard, in the barbershop, wherever, were people having those debates about players at that time? Or was that, is that the a debate, new thing? The debate was always who won. That was the debate. So not magic the, versus. It, it was magic versus bird. Yeah. Okay. But it was who was the best was who won. So no okay. one comparing era to era. The debate was who won. You, Magic Johnson. Okay. Magic Johnson went to the finals eight out of 10 years in the 80s. And won five. Okay. Magic Johnson's era in basketball and his 12 year career, he went to the finals nine times. The debate was always settled on who won. What's your impact on winning? Somehow in all of this, stats <laughs> replaced winning. <laughs> okay somehow in all of this we went from winning what's your contribution michael if you want to talk stats go to michael jordan's first eight years in the league why don't we talk about it the guy averaged 37 a night without a three ball <laughs> mo i'm gonna i'm gonna say it again he averaged 37 a night in a league without a three ball and there was hand checking and we weren't playing the game at the pace and space, the way we play in the game today. That's an easy 50 piece in today's easy game. Easy. And he didn't even have a three ball. So what I'm saying Mo is somehow we shifted from winning because that's all that mattered. Bill Russell is the greatest winner. Yep. Nah, we want to talk about the stats. Tim Duncan has won more games in his career than anyone in the history of the NBA. Nah, we want to talk about stats. We want to talk about three-point shooting. We want to talk about who's a flamethrower. We want to talk about who has the best crossover. Who's got the best handle? Who's the, who's the, who's got the highest vertical? Did he win? No, but he's Somehow it got replaced. And that has been the biggest shift. And to me, this isn't old school versus new school. This is about, let me reintroduce this generation to what matters most. Winning. That's all that matters. Winning is it. But you want to be the greatest player, win. I, I have a caveat for that, though. I yes, think please do. the way in which you win I don't believe, this is just me personally, 
I don't believe every NBA championship that a player wins is on yep. equal, equal footing. I think... Please, ex- please explain. Please explain. So if me and you are, are both in the NBA, right? If me and you are both in the NBA right now, we, we go and join the worst team. We go and join the Houston Rockets right now and we stink, okay? The team is not within. The rest of our teammates can't get it together. Coaching staff, da 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 Now... If I stay in Houston for a few years, you stay in Houston with me. But then I say, all right, BJ, I'm off to join the Brooklyn Nets. I'm going to go join KD and Harden and, and these guys. And I'm, I'm going to go win a championship with them. But you stay in Houston. And I go win a championship with the Brooklyn Nets. But you stay down with Houston. And then a few years later, you manage to carry that team to the playoffs. And then eventually you win a championship there. I believe that the championship you won would be more valuable, in my opinion, than the one that I won because you've done the hard work rather than, oh, these guys look like they're going to win. I'm going to run and join them quickly so I can get a ring too. What you just said, Mo, is what we discuss all the time. We have to stay principled to our beliefs and how we build, and we call that roster construction. Yeah. Okay. Now, players leave because of one or two things. Either they don't have the trust because you can't have a relationship without trust. Once they don't trust either the coach or the executives or ownership, you're going to have a problem. Second, age. Father time, with the exception of LeBron James, (laughs) has caught up with everybody. And where you at in your career matters, right? If you're in year eight, you may not have time to build the team the way the, the roster is currently constructed. So it doesn't make it better or worse because all of us know, all of us players know, yes, hard work, yes, roster construction, yes, team building, but you need a little luck in there too. Mm-hmm. You need a little luck in there, yeah. right? Yeah. You need contributions. You need the ball to bounce your way. So I don't look at a championship. This one is worth more than that one. It's where are you at and are you willing to be truthful with yourself? Like you have to be honest with it. Where are you? Are you the best player in this championship run or are you the third player? Yeah. But if you're the third player and you want to be the first player, that team probably is going to have some problems when the road gets, when it, when it gets tough, because the only thing that can solve a problem where there, there isn't cohesion or a cohesive group in the locker room is winning. Winning is the only thing that covers everything up. So the worst type of team to build is when the second player, the second best player in your team wants to be the best player. If you want to know who the best team in the league is, Just look at the second best player. Look at Chris Middleton. Is there any doubt who the best player on that on that team is? (laughs) Well, I mean, there was for certain people in the media. Okay, but but, if you would no, whoever who who whoever I look at at most teams look at the star player. Like I look at the Warriors right now. Is there any doubt who the best player is? Is there is it is there any like confusion here? Nope. Okay, right now they have the best cohesive group. Yeah. 
Because it's a hierarchy. It, everyone it, knows their role it, and it, what they everyone know. know everyone knows their job. If Steph is open, get him the ball. There's no ifs and buts. The way, the way about he's him. playing, even if he's not open, get him the ball because okay. he'll find a way. Now, when you want to know who the best player is or the best team is, I always look at the second best player. I always look at okay, because if that second guy wants to be the first guy, it'll never work. It'll never work. And that's how I look at teams. And I think people who've been in this business understands that you have to have a t- team. When you started, when you start building teams, I mean, there's an art to this. Yeah. And that's where the stats, that's where the stats don't tell you. The stats don't tell you two things. What's in your mind and what's in your heart. What's in your mind Mo matters if you're going to win a championship. Yep. Because if if you don't want to pass me the ball, Mo, that's a problem. <laughs> if you don't want to help me on defense, Mo, that's a problem. Yeah. And what's in your heart matters, Mo. Because you know what, Mo? I can't get it to the NBA Finals, game five, six, or seven, and know that you're not your heart is not in it. Yeah. If you're talking about winning. So stats, I want to say this. Because I'm not against the stats. I'm not against analytics. Analytics is a part of the business. But once it replaces and it becomes all of the business, this is what happens. Roster construction is an art. Roster construction requires a lot of different inputs from a lot of different people. And to only together with the big eye in the sky that you can come together and hope that you get it right. Because the only way we learn, Mo, is by making a mistake. Yep. We, we all make mistakes. So, you know, hopefully that answers that question. We've got one last question coming in. Yes. Um, from GA34. I still don't know your real name, but appreciate you sending your questions in. Seeing as we're about 13, 14 games into the season, he's giving me a list of, if the season ended today, all stats aside, I just want names. Boom. I'm going to ask you and you just fire back with the name. Right okay. now, this second today at the time of recording. Not who you think will win these things, but who is right now. The MVP so far. The chef. Correct. Steph Curry. That's why I'm rocking with two. The most improved player so far. Tyler Hero. Interesting. I would go with Miles Bridges up in Charlotte. I would go with Bridges, but Hero is a very valid shout. I would go with Hero for this next one. Sixth man of the year. Tyler Hero. Yeah, for real. Rookie of the year. Now, the listeners know who you're about to say. Evan Mobley. Evan uh, Mobley. <laughs> Did Mo, you- Mo, Mo, Mo. Can I just say this with Evan Mobley? Mm-hmm. Evan Mobley has really, he's rejuvenated me in the basketball world because I played the position of point guard, but secretly I always wanted to be a big. Yep. And the bigs have been the last position to be integrated into the small ball era. And Evan Mobley is the first player that I've seen that I think will dominate his era the way he plays. And I'm, I'm so inspired by him that if I ever come back to the other side and I become an executive again, Evan Mobley has inspired me 
with this. I'm going to draft only seven footers. <laughs> this is what we're That's talking all, about. One, okay. I'm only going to draft seven footers and I have my team. And I think I could do it. Right. Evan yep. Mobley is my small forward. Yep. Jokic is my power forward. <laughs> Joel Embiid is my five. Kevin Durant is my two. And Giannis is my one. And I could do that. I could draft that team. And, and the reason I know I could draft that team is because Giannis was 15 and Jokic was in the second round. Yep. I get one shot in the lottery and I can, I'll be somewhere in the five and I can draft one of those players in the top five. I think it can be done, Mo. And, and Mo, I'm so excited with watching Mobley now that Mobley has really inspired me to say it can be done. And the game is going to revert back to the bigs. The game is going to revert back, Mo, to the bigs. We're, we're in this small ball era, but the finally, Evan Mobley will inspire the next seven-footer because Jokic is playing. He is, I call him the most charming player in the NBA. You know that's what I call but, him. But here's the thing with Jokic. He's so unique. You, you can't, tr- I can look at a lot of players in the NBA and try oh, and play I, like I've them. seen him before. Oh, no, I've but seen I, Jokic before. I can't look at Jokic. If, if I'm a kid watching the NBA, right? Yes. I can't look at Jokic and try and play like him. Yes, you can. I've seen Jokic before. I saw a better version of Jokic. Yeah, but his name was his name was Arvidas Sabonis. Okay, but, but what I'm I saying, saw versions of him. I uh, I saw Vladi Divac. Jokic isn't unique. It's just his entire skill set now is on display in his prime. Mm. We didn't see I, yeah, Arvidas Sabonis was Jokic with athleticism. Yeah, yeah, but what what I'm trying to say is, if you're a young person trying to get good at basketball, right? You can go out and you can shoot thousands of shots a day and improve your jump shot. You can go and do a million box jumps and increase your vertical. But it's the hardest skill to improve is learning to pass like Nikola Jokic. Like he sees things just before they happen. Well, Mo, can I tell you a little secret about passing? Of course. I'm going to tell you a little secret. I'm going to tell you a little secret about passing the basketball. We love to work on things that are tangible, like step backs. The most important thing any coach will teach is shooting the basketball. Because the game requires you to score more points than the opponent. Anytime I've been in the gym with a great player, they all work on the same thing. Free throws. Yep. They all work on, why? Because they are going to shoot more free throws than the opponent. Yeah. Okay. Here's the, here's the little gem. In order to be a great passer, you have to understand the game of basketball and see the play before it happens. Mm-hmm. Okay. It doesn't require you to go in the gym and run wind sprints. It doesn't require you to go in the gym and lift weights. It doesn't require you to gym to wear some special shoes to get your vertical to 100. It requires you to understand the game before it happens. Mm -hmm. 
And that means you got to put your 20,000 hours of work in before we can even talk. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, the reason guys don't pass the ball, Mo, you you want to know the real reason? It's because they didn't see you. They didn't see you. They don't understand the game. Passing requires you to play the game at a level that is beyond your physical ability. Oh, if you pass the ball, it'll get there faster than if you dribble it. Easy. But I'm the fastest guy. I'm the fastest guy in the ball in the league with with a dribble. No. Jokic has played so many games now that the guy is passing the ball before the other person understands what's going on on the defensive side of the ball. That's how he's able to do it. I saw John Stockton do it. I saw Magic Johnson do it. I saw Larry Bird do it. Yeah. And in order for these guys to play like Jokic, it requires them to sit in the gym, sit in the film room, and put in their 20,000 hours. That's why I said studying the game. It's the most rare. And, and Mo, and Mo, that's not happening. Exactly. But why? This is- because these guys aren't professionals. <laughs> they are talents. This, this is what I'm telling you. And when you see a professional, you marvel. There's a guy, there's a guy, you can't see it. Maybe I'll show it to you when we get off camera. There's a jersey I have here, okay, from the Syracuse Nationals. Oh, we got an it's old here, right? You know, I have the, oh, yeah. I, greatness is everywhere. But do you see it? His name was Johnny Red Kerr. Okay. Johnny Red Kerr was considered one of the greatest passing bigs to play. This isn't new, Mo. Bill Walton is not new, Mo. It's mm-hmm. just new to the people who haven't put in the 20,000 mm-hmm. hours yet. Mm-hmm. Okay. The UCLA cut is not new, Mo, to a passing big. John Wooden <laughs> was doing it yep. 30, 40, 50 years ago. It's just new to the people who haven't put in the work yet. Yeah. So, so this is what I'm getting at is. When you see guys, uh, young players especially, coming up through youth basketball and, you know, working out with their trainers or whatever, they focus on the individual skills. They don't focus on passing or reading the game as a skill. This is is what I'm saying. Um, Mo, do you realize in in my other part of my office, I have Wilt Chamberlain. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen him. In the background, Milt Chamberlain averaged over 50 a night. But you know what was his, one of the most amazing? He's got two stats that are just like incredible to me. One, the guy averages 50 a, a night in this league with like 25 rebounds, like which is unheard of. Mm-hmm. But he also leads the league in assists. But we don't talk about that. Mo, mm-hmm. we're talking like Jokic is the first guy that's ever passed the ball. Wilt Chamberlain led the league in assists. Okay. Yeah. And then he had another stat that was just just as incredible. And I'll turn it over to you. He played in every minute of every game plus overtime for an entire season. Yeah, no, that's crazy. That's crazy. That's okay. That's not real. Um, You know, but but what I'm saying to you, okay, is you've listed these guys, Wilt Chamberlain, Johnny Kerr. We're talking Avita Sabonis, 
Vlade Divac, Nikola Jokic. What I'm saying to you, though, is they're very rare to come across. So finding players like that is very, very difficult. That's that's what I was saying is because kids coming up want to be the star in terms of scoring. I'm a great scorer. Okay. I'll go out and score 30. They, okay, but Mo, from what I'm seeing, can I, can I'm I, can I, you from my perspective of what I'm seeing from the young people coming up right now, that the the passing or the the studying of the film to understand the game is becoming less and less, and it's becoming more and more individually skills based. Well, I would I would disagree with that because I understand Mo that that may be the narrative to the untrained eye. But to the trained eye, Mo, here's the following. I played in an offense called the triple post offense. Mm -hmm. It was designed for the centers to pass the ball. Yeah. Okay. Everyone talks about Michael Jordan. And I I always laugh to myself when I hear it on television or I talk about it. Oh, he's the greatest wing player. Michael Jordan was a 6'6 center. Kobe Bryant was a 6'6 center. Okay. The guards learned how to play like the bigs. And now the bigs suddenly are beginning Giannis. And these guys are learning to play like like the the guards. guards. Yeah. Okay. This is the, but this is to a person who's been in this game their entire life. Michael Jordan didn't play. He wasn't announced as a center. He won six championships in the triple post offense. That's the okay, triangle. Mo, right you over guys were That's the trick. Mo, I have a book right here. The triangle offense is designed to catch the ball in the post and split. Okay. When you watch the Golden State Warriors play right now. They okay? run so much split actions. Okay. I, I'm, I, and, and I don't like, because I'm not trying to say like, I know something no one else knows. I just try to like, like keep it like at a place where everyone can understand what I'm saying. Steve Kerr is running the triple post offense with Steph Curry and everyone's going, Oh God, this is a great offense. It's the same offense we ran in the eighties and the nineties. And they ran it in the forties and the fifties. And they're running it now in 2021. It's the same exact offense. And the thing I appreciate about it is that you just massage it a little bit where everyone thinks it's new. It's the same. Draymond catches it on the post. They run their split actions. Steph Curry runs around and they pass. And then we say, Jokic is the great passing big. No, it's just that we've, we've changed how a point guard plays the game now. Just like we started to show off. It just, just looks different. Just just for any it's any, just 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 for any of you guys wondering if if you're listening when we're talking about a split it's when someone feeds the ball into the post and then they're involved in the screening action with another player off the ball. Yes. Just just in case you and guys. That, that action has been around since 1946 and be be probably before that. That action is more popular than the one we always are emphasizing. Screen and roll. Okay? Because why is that action more important? Because the pass, 
there's that word passing is a is a is it, once you make a penetrating pass to the post now you have an opportunity to pass it to any other place on the floor the other four players on the floor from the post that's why we always emphasize post play guess what we did we took it from the post and someone said hey 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 man what if we did it from the point guard position and put the ball in the middle of the floor. Oh, is that why Oscar Robinson and Magic Johnson and Tiny Archibald <laughs> and Bob, is that why they were passing the ball? How, you, you understand? Yeah. So before Steph shoots, you know what's amazing about Steph? Is Steph shoots the ball. Everyone else shoots with an individual move. Steph does it. He does it from time to time as well. But count how many shots he he shoots from inside out yeah. see the difference is he's playing his talent with the team and not vice versa and, and i think people need to look at also how many screens he not only uses but how many screens he sets because yes. that's one thing you notice in the warriors offense as well steph curry Mo. and clay thompson set a lot of screens too they don't just use them now i'm gonna i'm gonna say this not to because i want to expose steve kerr Steve Kerr is phenomenal at what he does. He's incredible, okay? Especially in the second half. And it's pretty, it's really kind of hilarious to me because you see the other teams haven't caught on yet. But here's the funny thing. He's running the triangle offense. He's running a version of it. And no one's talking about it. And I laugh and him and I chuckle when we see each other and everyone says, oh, this is a new the game is different. The players are different. He's running the same exact thing that Steve Kerr ran when he played in Chicago, when B.J. Armstrong ran in Chicago, <laughs> except Steph Curry is 100 times better than me, John Paxson, Craig Hodges, and, and all those guys. <laughs> <laughs> it, like Steve Kerr is coaching his dream if he was a player in Steph Curry. And it's the same exact offense that the late Kobe Bryant ran, the one that Michael Jordan ran. And when you find something that works, people, the triple post offense, team basketball, passing it, works, Mo. The, the other thing is the, the triangle, you have to have the personnel for it to work. Because remember a few years ago when the Knicks tried to install it, when they had not the roster to install it with, and it just went horribly wrong. Okay. The difference is the difference is the following. You have to have players who understand how to play. The triple post offense, Mo. Again, I'm going to drop another gym. I'm going to drop another gym so that you can understand. So you can understand what Steve Kerr is doing today. There's no difference between the Bulls teams and the Warriors teams. Here's this. They're the same exact team. The triple post only works if you have a defensive team. Yeah. Well, everyone keeps talking about the offense. Who's the best defensive team in the league? Yep. This uh, the last question was defense the player of the year, but I think Draymond Green is far and away the best defense player in the league right now. Right now, who's the best defensive player? He's the best defender on the best defensive team. 
he certainly deserves to be up there. He certainly does. He's the most versatile defender right now in today's game. Why? Because no one plays post defense. Like he is perfectly situated to be a middle linebacker in American football where he just figures out what you're doing. And then they make the adjustments at halftime and they put him in every defensive sequence. That's what they do. He's the most versatile player because he does that better than anyone where I think that style will not work is when you have a post player who can play from the post. When I watched them play against Brooklyn, I was amazed that Kevin Durant was trying to beat the Warriors from the perimeter. That was, I was like, what's going on here? Like, I was like, what's going on here? Like you're a seven footer, go to the post, go to the, so I don't know who the best, no one has really stood out to me. You know, Rudy Gobert is Miles Turner has been good. Miles Turner has been terrific. Yeah. You know what? Miles Turner has been good. You know, Jimmy Butler has been good. Giannis, you know, I, I, I just, I feel like I'm, I'm, I feel like I work in I work for Giannis because I'm always amazed (laughs) at how good, I mean, he he tries to block every shot. Yep. You know, he had he had he tried to block Anthony Davis dunk the other night. And I was just yeah. like, wow. The fact that he tried to block it, like I was like, wow. I was like, I wanted to give him an A for effort. Well, the rest so, of the league is scared of being put on post. The honest does not care. Yeah, he 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 does not care. Okay. So I think Jimmy Butler, Draymond, Rudy Gobert, Giannis are all in the consideration. And I think right now it's not really clear uh, to me, but Draymond probably has a slight lead because of the record. And I always want to, you know, and he is without question. He is the, you know, he's the defensive presence for that team. Um, but, you know, that, that was a great question. I, I, and, and, and that's what I hope the young people who are listening today can come away with is that as much as they say the game has changed, it hasn't. Steve Kerr's running the same stuff. He's running the same stuff that Tex Winters ran when he first designed the triple post offense and the same stuff that John Wooden ran and the same stuff. And it's all about playing together. That's the key. I was told many years ago by the great Dave Greenaway. He told me that basketball is a very, very simple sport. It's just made complicated by the individual players. Well, I don't think it's complicated or made complicated. It's just the things that make us feel good about ourselves are the individual things that we love to do. We love to dribble the ball. We love to dribble the ball. Mo loves to lead the team in assists. (laughs) Mo would love to lead the team in scoring. I love lead the okay. team of steals and blocks. Okay. There's only one thing that I think you have to be selfish to do is to be a great rebounder. You have to be very selfish. Why? Because you have to get the rebound. You probably. <laughs> well, you have to get the rebound, but you know, the, the thing, the, the thing I always, I always love to play against as a guard. I always love to play against great rebounders. I love to play against Dennis Robin. Why? Because he never stepped out on screens. Yeah. So I knew I was going to be open. The, every, I love to yeah. play against Charles Barkley because he was never going to step out on a screen because if he steps out on a screen, he can't rebound the ball. 
Yeah. Okay. I love to play against rebounders <laughs> because that's the one selfish thing that we continue continuously give accolades to and we get oh this guy had 30 rebounds like if i was playing against andre drummond i would love it because he never steps out on he never (laughs) steps out on the screen so when i see guys who rebound i go oh wow i'm gonna be open that night and i would work extra on my shooting like because you can't rebound and step out and be a good defender you know yeah so individually the, we're constantly battling what it means to be unselfish. And that's, that's where winning means something. That's the only tool we have to say, what is your contribution to being unselfish? What's your contribution? Winning is the only way we can actually evaluate ourselves, Mo, if we are a team. Now, if Mo averages 25, Mo can say, hey, I got my 25, I need help. Well, how are you going to get help? I passed you the ball. <laughs> Remember, Mo, when I walked away from you so you can get that isolation. Yeah. So until we understand as fans how this game works, we will continue to allow mediocrity because mediocrity has seeped into our game. Yep. And if media. Go on, go on. I want to say I want to say this last thing, Mo, what made the Boston Celtics and the Lakers so incredible to watch? You had all these players on the floor at one time. Dennis Johnson, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, James Worthy, Kevin McHale, Bob McAdoo, Robert Parrish, Bill Walton, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, all on the floor at one time. So the level of excellence, Mo, that we have become accustomed to, which makes us have a great appreciation for this game, no longer exists. Why? Because we have so many players now who are playing the game who don't have to play at that level. You had to be a professional to be on that. Mo, for me to think at 19, I could go play against Magic Johnson and Dennis Johnson and Larry Bird and James Worthy is insane to me. Now guys are watching the game going, oh, man, I can do that. (laughs) (laughs) I hear you. I like the confidence, but I hear what you're saying. For you guys at home... If you want to continue learning the game and taking in all of this knowledge and these gems, make sure you stay rocking with the Hoop Genius Podcast. Make sure you stay subscribed. Leave us a review on the Apple Podcast Store if you would be so kind. And share this with your friends who are into basketball. If you've got friends who play basketball, listening to this will help them improve. If you've got friends that are basketball fans, listening to this will help them see the game in a better way. And it will help us. Mo, the only way you can pass it to me, Mo, is if you see me. Mm-hmm. Mo, the only way you can pass me the ball is if you can see me. So the next great player that will come out of the UK, and he's some young kid that's listening to this, you got to see the game. But in order for you to see the game, you got to understand it. The way you got to understand it, you got to put that work in. Not physically, but you got to go sit in that and put your 20,000 hours mentally to understand how to see the game so you can see the other four guys on the floor. All the greatest players to ever play the game, they were incredibly gifted, not physically, but their mental capacity to play the game. Yes, sir. That's the most important thing. How can you, do you understand the game? Do you understand, you know, 
why are you playing with other four players? Or are you just like, I got to get mine? Yep. And that's, and that's where we're at. Mediocrity has seeped into our game. But, Mo, that's why we're talking about it is because we are educating or sharing the knowledge with the next great player. Because everyone talks about the GOAT. But watching the last dance was just the tip of the iceberg. What he didn't show you was his preparation was by far superior to any player I've ever seen. It wasn't his fadeaway jump shot. It wasn't his footwork. It wasn't his will to win and all of those things that we love to talk about. His preparation for the game was far superior. And I will give him the utmost compliment that I've never said anywhere else but here because it's time to share with the next generation. He was the greatest teammate I've ever had. He was the greatest teammate. Wasn't a good teammate. He was the greatest teammate because Mo, say what you want to say about him. No one, no one was going to be more prepared for a game than him. And no one was going to give that type of effort that was going to exceed what was humanly possible than him. Say what you want to about him. You can say whatever you want to say. You know, oh, he was tough or he was on. No one prepared for a game and was prepared to go with to whatever length you were prepared to go. And Mo, when I first saw it, I, I love the game. I never seen a person go to those lengths, though, for a loose ball. I never seen a person go to those lengths for a, a line drill. I'm not saying to shoot the ball. I'm not saying once the game started. I'm talking about Mo every single day. Mo, every single day he prepared himself to go to whatever lengths were necessary and was going to go there willingly. That's greatness. It wasn't like a motor, wasn't motivation. It wasn't like I, I got to work to be like, I, heard, I never heard Michael Jordan say, I'm, I'm working to be great. I am great. See, that's the difference. These kids always working to be great. Strive for greatness. I am is a little different than striving to be. I never heard him talk about being great. I never heard him talk about wanting to be the best. I never heard him saying what he was going to do tomorrow night. What time is that game, BJ? 7.30? I see y'all there. The best, the greatest teammate I've ever, ever had or ever seen. Because you can't tell me about what it means to be a teammate when you know there's someone there that is a thousand percent committed to the game, not to the team, to the game. Mo, yeah. that's a little different than saying, oh, these are my boys. These are my guys. These are my team. I'm going to win for my team. He was committed to the game. Sorry to go on that little run. Hey, listen, you're more than welcome to any time because those are real gems. Now you've been dropping for the listeners. So make sure you share this podcast with all of your friends who love basketball because this is, and I'm not even saying it because I'm on it. I'm saying it because BJ's on it. 
This is the greatest basketball podcast in the world right now. So if you ain't rocking with us, you're fumbling the bag. But until next time, my people, stay blessed. BJ, thank you once again for sharing your knowledge with us. And as always, get buckets.